Well, good afternoon. Uh, we are going to study uh, one word this afternoon that we've been doing for several years, of course, now. I appreciate Clayton leading the singing and letting me pick out all of his songs ahead of time. He didn't know before he got up here. It wasn't that kind of thing. Uh, but I said, you know, um, the study guy that goes along with this study for the preacher to kind of look at and, and use often has uh, some song suggestions. And as I look through them, sometimes maybe songs we've never sung before, or maybe songs that aren't necessarily in our book or that we have for the screen and things like that. But as you can see here, we're going to talk about the word prophecy this afternoon. So with the idea of God's word, there were a lot. And so I ran the list by him, and, and of course he knew a lot of them, and so I appreciate him leading those. Uh, you can see on the screen here that there have been a, a section of words entitled uh, His Word as the theme for this group of words. We've looked at words involving the church, words involving salvation and family and things like that. This section is about his words, about the Bible. We've talked about inspiration and covenant and truth, and we're going to talk about prophecy uh, this month, and then we'll talk about the gospel next, and there's still several lessons left. In fact, I think maybe the next slide says that it's supposed to be a weekly study, and this is week 38, and we've just been kind of taking it month by month, trying to just encourage ourselves with thinking about some biblical usages of words, the way that they use them. It's very helpful. In fact, this summer at camp, as we kind of begin uh, our reign as taking over and running the Bible camp that we've been a part of for, for several years, uh, the, our chapel sessions are going to focus on one word, and it'll be different ones. We often ask our young men, uh, some of our seniors and juniors and those who are uh, a little bit older maybe to prepare lessons and speak in our chapel, and we were talking about what we could do, and I said, you know, I've been in the middle of this one word study. I said, that seems like something that would be good for young men. There's a lot out there. We could talk about baptism or belief or repentance and kind of give them a word and let them go through that, and even then we have some material we could offer, so we're looking forward to that, but I hope it's beneficial to you as you think about this particular study, and maybe, you know, I know prophecy may not be something you think about a lot. Uh, but maybe it'll be encouraging. And I do think this afternoon we've got a couple of points that will hopefully challenge your thoughts just a little bit. I did not have uh, blanks for the outline if you're following along with the bulletin, uh, but you can see we'll have some of the usual things on the screen here, including talking about the Hebrew usage of the word prophecy and the Greek usage of the word prophecy. When it comes to the Old Testament, the term that is translated prophecy is, I think, pronounced nava, really with a V kind of sound, uh, but you can see it there on the screen, and you can see that it's used around 123 times, 123 times in the Old Testament. As you can see there at the bottom, it carries with it the idea of to bubble up or to boil forth. We'll try something different. I'm trying to stand as lightly as I can, and that's difficult for me, you know, around back here. So, powering. The real good news is that there's two hours of battery on this thing, so we can go for a while. All right. I knew, it, I knew it would show me, so I had to wait and see. You can see that the word prophecy here in the Old Testament carries with it the idea of to bubble up or to boil forth. I like that. It really means that this is uh, almost the idea to pour forth of words. That's what prophets would do. Uh, it's not necessarily something that is just takes over their body and it kind of bubbles up in that way, but they're going to pour forth the words like those who speak with a fervor of mind or under the divine inspiration. 
Uh, so again, it's not something that just kind of overpowers their sense of will, but it is like this speaking forth as prophets would do. The biblical use of the word has the idea to, to receive God's speech and then to proclaim it. So we're not necessarily talking about prophets, but you've heard me say before that we're careful sometimes when we talk about prophets that not every prophet could tell you uh, who was going to win the baseball game at the end of the week, right, or whatever. That's not what the only thing that prophets did. They didn't just tell the future, uh, but they would tell forth the word of God. They're speaking on behalf of God, not just speaking the future. At times, they did prophesy or give words of prophecy about the future, and we'll kind of talk about that in this lesson, but they were also just the spokesman for God. And so this word occurs 123 times in the Old Testament, and that is the word that's used there. When we come to the New Testament, uh, the Greek word, which you can see, and a lot of times in the Greek you can see our English words coming from uh, the word that's used in the Bible, but uh, prophetuo is the word that's used, and there's another word that's similar to go along with prophets. And here's the interesting thing. If you have a Bible, turn over to Titus chapter 1 real quick. Titus chapter 1 and verse number 12. By and large, the New Testament understands that by the prophet means that the, the biblical proclaimer was sharing this divine message. It was a divine inspired message. But look at Titus chapter 1 and verse number 12. You'll see here that it makes mention of one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. So this idea that as, as Paul is talking to Titus, and Titus is going to be in Crete, and it says that back there in verse number 5 of chapter 1, that even there are some Cretan, Cretan poets or prophets who speak evil of their own people. They're lazy. They don't do anything. And that's what this prophet or poet says. So the word here is used and translated prophet, but this is kind of outside of those who would be speaking the word of God. But it's one of the few times, if not the only time. And this is one of the few exceptions in the New Testament. Otherwise, we are talking about people who are prophesying on behalf of God. This word is found about 216 times in the New Testament. And... Again, the meaning is kind of the biblical proclaimer of the divine inspired message. That's what this person is doing. They are prophesying. They are a prophet, a spokesman for God. I don't know if this is true of you or not. Maybe it's true of me for a time. But when we hear the word prophet, we often think of only the Old Testament and that idea. We talk about the minor prophets and the major prophets. Only the Old Testament. But you'll see that word used in the New Testament as we think about what people were doing. Uh, the idea of some people may have been able to, uh, were called a prophet. That's not something to be worried about or scared of. But it is something that carries over to the New Testament as well, uh, even if it is a, a little different. But that's the Greek word that's used then. Here's one of the interesting things about prophecy in the Bible. In God's divine wisdom... He chose to communicate his will through mankind, through men, through fallible human men. Now, there are some people who would take issue with that, right? Some people would say, well, what was God thinking? Why would he do that? They would rather hear directly from God. So they said, well, why, why would he use men? Why would he speak through men when he could use other ways to communicate his will to us? But when you go through the Bible, and we won't have time this afternoon to do it, but when you go through the Old Testament, even as we have been doing, 
the number of times that God actually communicates directly to men in this kind of sense of speaking to them directly is really very few. By and large, he's speaking by the prophets. Think about the children of Israel. Uh, we're not there yet in our Old Testament study, but as they are going to be so large and living under the time of the kings, you know, God uses these prophets to go and speak to the people. That was how he decided to communicate his will to mankind, and that was through men. So if a person wanted to know the will of God, what did they need to do? Well, they had to go find a prophet. A prophet of God would tell them God's will. Now here's where I told you, I had a couple things I thought would hopefully challenge your thoughts a little bit. Let's talk first of all about four obstacles. Four obstacles that, some, that can arise when we think about God communicating through prophets and then prophets communicating the word of God. Number one, the prophet might decide to withhold the message he preached. Again, this is not some, I don't know if out of body, but this kind of overtaking a body experience that this person is walking around and they're not in control of their feet or their limbs and this noise is just coming out of their mouth. That's not the way God did it. Okay, they're able to walk and to make their own decision and to speak. And so there's a chance, I guess, one of the potential obstacles of using man is that the prophet might decide to withhold the message that he received. Number two, the people might fail to listen to the message that was actually preached or proclaimed. Sound familiar? Absolutely. Has it not been going on from the Old Testament even thinking about Noah, who was preaching to the people as he's building the ark, and others who over the course of time are delivering God's will to people, and people just don't want to listen. So we talk about the idea that God could, right? I usually strike myself upside the head. He could just hit us and make us understand, and that be it. Every person, he could just decide, or who he wants, he could just decide. But no more of this listening and understanding and choosing you know, you know, you know, you know, you don't know, you don't know. He could have done it that way, I guess. So that's a potential obstacle is that people won't listen. Number three, the people might not trust the message as being from God. This is challenging, is it not? This is challenging for everyone. I hope it's challenging for you because as I try to emphasize from time to time, I hope that you don't just take my word for everything. I hope that you don't just take it and say, well, that must be it because you know what's happening. You know what we should be doing? We should be spending our time going outside these doors all around this community and trying to reach out to people who have simply been taking what they've heard and believing it. Well, what's the difference? Why are they going to listen to me or anybody else? Hopefully because it's the word of God and that's what they're checking against. But no, it's some people are not going to trust the message as being from God. And then number four, under potential obstacles, some people might wrongfully claim to be a prophet of God and thereby they're going to be misleading the people. If you've ever been duped by someone, if you've ever tried to buy something that then you gave money, and of course this is a big thing now with online, and you offer to, to buy something from someone and you send them the money and then you find out you can't contact them anymore. They're just gone, right? They were misleading you. They were, said they were something, but in reality they were something else. I don't want to spend too much time here because we're going to kind of get into this as we conclude the lesson in just a few moments. But this is an obstacle that, yes, some people might wrongfully claim to be a prophet of God. Sometimes when you claim to be something, you might receive lots of things. Some men would say, I'm going to walk around claiming to have a message from God. 
And when I do that, then surely people will pay me more money. Surely people will give me more attention. Surely I'll be more popular if I can just claim to be from God. And so that is certainly a problem. Here's the thing. Despite these obstacles, it was God's plan to, his design was still to communicate through the prophets. So why did he choose that? Well, this is four obstacles. Let's talk then about four advantages. Are there some advantages to this? Number one, it requires people to become proactive in discerning truth from error. You know, what's number one on the list maybe for me, just kind of thinking off the top of my head, is probably that people won't listen. They just won't listen. You know what's number two? People are just too lazy to think for themselves, right? They take the false gospel, they take the false truths, false things, because they're just too lazy to try to discern truth from error. We know that Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and he would say that all Scripture is God-breathed, is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. It's good for us. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that we can be perfect, not necessarily perfect with no sin, but mature, that we can discern truth from error, and we're active in that. Have you ever been lazy in that regards? Just not wanting to try to get to the bottom of information? Have you ever decided, I'm going to take what I've heard and try to discern what is true and what is not true? By the way, that spills over into lots of things. Not just spiritual things, although those matter most. But what we hear in the media, what we hear from politicians, all those things we've got to take and discern. And when men speak, this is an advantage. We are required to become proactive. Number two, an advantage of using prophets is it enabled God to utilize faithful spokesmen. Faithful spokesmen who could go about preaching the message regardless of what's going on around them. We sometimes joke, I don't know if that's the right word, but we sometimes joke about how hard it is today, maybe a little facetious, just about how tough it is to preach amongst all the error and sin in the dark world we live in. I don't know that it would have been harder to be a prophet in the Old Testament days, right? I don't know that it would have been more difficult then because there are a lot of bad things around us now, but there were a lot of bad things then. But God is able to find faithful men who are willing to preach and use and give his word to the people. And so that's an advantage of this. Number three, it would become a test of genuine faith for a person had to trust the messenger and the message. They had to put some faith into this. Some skin in the game, as we say. Kind of going back to the first point. They've got to be proactive. They've got to do more than just simply accept it. Or, as we said, they've got to do more than just show up and God hits them upside the head and there it is. They just have it in their brain now. It's not the way it works. We're not robots. But it becomes a test of genuine faith to trust God's word and to trust his messenger. Not blindly, in the same way that we don't have a blind faith, just saying, God, Lead me and I'm going to kind of, you know, take that leap of faith. It takes some effort on our part. The same thing is true here. Number four, it provided a vehicle to communicate his divine truths to future generations. I know that you, we talk about the robot thing. I know that you're aware of that and we say that we're thankful God didn't make us robots and some people are simply chosen and some are not. He could do that. I guess he could have done that. But we're thankful that he gives us free will. 
And with that, and by using prophets, one of the advantages is that people will be able to pass it down through future generations. They're not relying simply upon their parents, their dad, their grandfather, or whoever it might be, but we have the Word of God that we can put our faith in, and we're able to pass that on. It's not a weakness when we say, don't just take my word for it, because it's true with our children as well. We can tell them, I'm not simply right because I'm your daddy. I'm not simply right because I'm your mother. If I am right, it's because I'm trying to be right by the will of God. Leading you down the paths of righteousness, following his word. Again, especially in spiritual ways, but even in the way that God has given his design for the home. If you have your Bible, let me ask you to turn to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 14 for just a moment. Jeremiah chapter 14. When we think about prophecy, one of the striking aspects of prophecy in the Old Testament is its abuse. The abuse of prophecy. The number of people, the number of men who assumed the role, and by the way, the writer here says the prestige of being a prophet, right? That's what they would be after. It's not just that I can say that, but I can put that on my business card, right? I am a prophet. And whether they are or they aren't, they'll, they'll take that prestige, walking around acting as if, look at me, I am a prophet. But the number of men who assume the role of prophet is amazing. But in Jeremiah, and we're not going to look at all of them, but in the book of Jeremiah, there are approximately 40, 40 references in the book of Jeremiah about prophecy, and many of those have to do with those who prophesied falsely. Jeremiah 14, beginning in verse 14 through verse 16, And the Lord said to me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. That's what we're talking about. And as you go through Jeremiah, in fact, in chapter 27 and verses 10 and 14 and 16, chapter 27, verses 10, 14, and 16, he talks about those who were prophesying lies. That's what they were doing. So it's tough. It's tough for people to understand exactly, but this back to our advantages is they've got to discern. They've got to work to understand. And even though there's these many men who are prophesying lies and prophesying falsely, we read with amazement and admiration the men who stood before God's people and even stood before his enemies. Again, you want to talk about how hard it is today? It's quite difficult in a dark, dark world. But more often than not, preachers today, myself included, are standing before a friendly crowd. Right? We talk about the, the phrase is preaching to the choir. Right? What does that mean? I'm preaching to folks who may have heard a lot of this before. Or folks who I want to encourage, but you have. You've opened your Bible. you studied the Word. Prophets in the Old Testament were going to God's people who were both friendly and enemies sometimes because they didn't want to hear what they had to say and also simply before God's enemies to proclaim his word. They boldly declared the divine message and sometimes they did so at great peril to their own safety. I remember, I think I've shared this story before, but I remember not long after we moved to Dunlap, uh, we were visiting there and Brad Harib was holding a meeting and he was talking about a law that was supposed to be taking effect, I think in Texas at the time, about preachers who would preach against homosexuality. 
And I don't think he was trying to drum up scare tactics or things, but it was kind of this idea of, hey, it's coming, and sooner rather than later, preachers are going to have to make a decision of preaching against homosexuality or going to jail. Right, And we're kind of all nervous about that and scared about that. Well, I'm thankful to say that while it's still challenging and the world doesn't want to hear the truth on things, you know, we're still able to stand here and be thankful to stand in a country and preach those things without that same fear. It may be coming, and yet it may be a ways away if at all, but yet it is a challenge to preach the truth. And those men did it at their own, for the fear of their own safety sometimes. And I'm thankful that I don't have to worry about that right now. Pray that others in the future, our young people don't have to face maybe that level uh, of trouble in the future, but who knows what it holds. But it is interesting that when we think about prophets, many times in the Old Testament, they were prophets of lies, those who were prophesying falsely. I don't know if any of you recognize this fella. Peter Popoff, right? I think I'd heard the name before. I had to do a little research um, I, the man who wrote the article here, or this particular study guide, uh, brought this up as one of the illustrations to use. He was born in 1946. He was a German, I think German-born American televangelist, uh, pretty much well-known as a con artist and a self-proclaimed prophet. He initially rose to prominence in the 1980s, and in 1986, there were people who exposed his lies and his method of receiving messages from his wife via an in-ear radio kind of to tell him about what people in the audience, what their address was or what their problems were. And she was able to tell him secretly and then he was able to claim to be a prophet. And I think he suffered from that uh, for a while, but then he also made a return even more recently uh, trying to be on TV and sell certain things. Uh, but this is the kind of person who, who you know, draws trouble and, and really can give lots of people trouble and a bad name by claiming to have divine revelation, to be a prophet of God, receiving messages. Not just a spokesman sharing the word of God, but one who's receiving messages still to the people today. And there were several quotes used here in this article. It says, the case of Peter Popov is one of many egregious instances of fake healing. And someone else said, most of these guys are fooled by their own theology. Someone else said he's fundamentally evil because he knows he's a con man. He may or may not be the worst. He's certainly not the first, and he probably will not be the last of people who will claim to be something, something from God, someone from God when they're not. And that's how I'd like to, to finish here. We've got just a couple of more points. But when we think about the Bible describing false prophets, how are they described? Do you remember in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, and this is not the only place, this is not the only mention of it, Matthew 7 and verse 15, as Jesus is concluding the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. The question at the top of the screen there is, how are false prophets described? Jesus describes them. As a wolf in sheep's clothing. I've mentioned to you before that that's something that doesn't speak to us as much since we don't have as many shepherds, right? We're not, not as many people are involved in that kind of work. But we understand we have children's rhymes and fairy tales and things that use that kind of idea. Jesus used this illustration to describe a wolf in sheep's clothing. That strikes to us because hopefully it reminds us of just how serious this is. 
that there are people, whether they've got the bright smile or the perfectly done hair or the very fancy suit or whatever it might be, they'll do all they can to keep obtaining worldly things and promote themselves as people of God. Now, on the other hand, you don't have to be wearing rags. You don't have to be dirty and claim to be, you know, uh, put down and beat down in order to preach the word of God either. But we understand that false prophets are described as a wolf in sheep's clothing. And this is a powerful image that can be used when dis discussing this idea of prophecy and the Bible. In fact, one final passage here. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 1. 1 John 4 and verse number 1. In the New Testament, it continues to discuss these things. There's references about prophecies and men who are prophets. But what is the key to all of this when it comes to prophecy and understanding what we are to do? Well, John says it pretty simply. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but, here's the key, test the spirits. Test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We might even say that there are people today who are not preaching a gospel or the gospel of Jesus in a false sense, but they're just simply trying to indoctrinate us and our children to many different things. We might call them a prophets of sort because they may not be preaching about the Bible, but they're preaching their message to try to draw our young people into a lot of dangerous thoughts, whether it be about sexuality or gender or whatever it might be, they're trying to draw them in with these false messages. And that's a very, very scary thing. The key to all of this is to teach our young people and to remind ourselves, test every spirit. We've got the answers. We've got the key. We've got the guide. We test everything against the word of God. Yes, that includes our elders whom we love, but we should always test them in a sense. And again, not out of spite, not just being difficult and always trying to cause problems, but simply making sure that what we're doing as a congregation is by the word of God. Yes, that includes testing the preacher, the minister, to make sure that what he's preaching from a public sense is of the word of God. Yes, that includes what our kids are hearing in the world today. You know, a couple of weeks ago as we spoke about mothers, one of the points that we made was that mothers need to be the main female influence in our children's lives. That kind of gets back to this point. Because what some mothers can do, unfortunately, is allow their children to listen to many false prophets. And not just females, of course, or daughters, but sons as well. But to simply listen to all the prophets in the world that are trying to fill their brain with so many other things outside of the Word of God. We would do well to remember this key as we think about prophecy and the Bible. That yes, the Bible talks about a lot of good prophecies when it comes to the prophecies about Jesus. But there's also a whole lot of warnings about testing the spirits to be sure that what we're hearing, not just, in, not just prophecy for the future, but hearing the word of God is true. Test every spirit because there are many false prophets in the world. As we conclude this lesson this afternoon, we're about to sing to encourage you if you need to make your life right with God. As we sometimes say, it may not have anything to do with the message this afternoon per se or message about prophecy, but we've been together today, we've encouraged ourselves, we've studied the Word of God. Maybe you're here and you've been thinking about things, maybe you realize that something is amiss and you'd like to make a change. Maybe you need to become a child of God, maybe you simply need to come back to Him through confession, repentance, and prayer. We're thankful for this time to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.